Good morning. It's good to see all of you here. We appreciate uh, your presence and desire to worship God on this Lord's Day. Um, there are a number of things that <clears throat> I want to say. First of all, I want to thank all of you who were able to uh, contribute to the St. Croix mission uh, effort that is taking place. You know, the fourth chapter of Philippians, the Apostle Paul was talking to the church there, to the brethren there. And one of the things that he said is, you know, from the time I started, you guys have been there behind me. You have been supporting me as I do this work. And he said, and the support, of course, is great. But really, that's not the greatest thing about it, he said. He said, what I really rejoice in is that because of your support, what I've been able to accomplish, the fruit of that abounds to your account. I like uh, to think about that concept because we reach a time in our lives, many of us, as we get older, we may find ourselves in a position where we can't do everything we used to do. Uh, we can't go in person to foreign lands, but uh, I think it was Johnny Ramsey who a number of years ago I heard him say, we can't go in person, but we can often go in purse. And um, that's what you have done this morning, those of you who have contributed. And what good is done in St. Croix uh, will be credited to your account because of your generosity. So I just wanted to remind you of that truth. And I also wanted to say this, too. Four years ago today, uh, we began our work here at uh, Carnes. It seems uh, hard to believe that it's been four years. In September, it'll be five years that we began. I, I don't know if you remember, but I came down once a month for uh, about eight months. Uh, and uh, we, uh, we just want to say thank you. Our family wants to thank you. Interesting today, my family, half of them are, or part of them are leaving uh, and we're celebrating four years here, but um, we, uh, we appreciate all the acts of kindness and, and all the things that you have done. Listen, you don't need to get me anything for four years. Um, you can let us go through the line first today. We are having a big potluck, and that line gets long, but uh, no, seriously. But it, it has been a, a joy uh, to be here and to work with you all better than we could have ever imagined. And I want to thank you for all of that. Um, This morning, I want us to talk about the evidence of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a central theme to Christianity. It's the heart of what Jesus coming to the earth was all about. The, the, The whole concept of, you know, we can call it different things. We can talk about reconciliation or forgiveness of our sins or so forth. But, but the, at the core of it all, is that we sin and we need to be restored in our relationship to God. And that comes through forgiveness. Um, We were the offenders, and it took God to say, I forgive you. And we're trying to be godly people and God-like and Christ-like. And so that means that I, too, must learn this discipline, this grace of forgiveness. And it's not easy. If we live any time at all, we learn that it's hard to say, I forgive you. Because we've been wronged. And, and it not through no fault of our own. It, we're not talking about, well, you did this because I did this, and you were just getting even. It, it's, it, I'm talking about things where we are in the right, and we have been wronged, and we have to learn to say, I forgive you. 
and we say it like we mean it. They're not just words that come off and then we go home and, and uh, act a different way. Have you ever seen people that, well, they're, they're two-faced, they're double-minded. Um, when somebody comes along, they'll go, <clears throat> oh, great, here comes so-and-so. Oh, hi, how are you? Good to see you. And then they pass by and they go, oh. You know, they roll their eyes. Uh, that's how some people do. You know, they put on a front to them and they act like everything's just fine. But as soon as they get out of sight or get behind us, we're like rolling our eyes and saying, man, can you believe so-and-so? That's not forgiveness. And it takes work to be like God. And I'm thankful that God is a God who forgives. I'm thankful that I know exactly where I stand in the eyes of God and where he stands with reference to me. He doesn't play games. We play games. So here's my question. What do I need to do to get more like God in terms of forgiveness? And just by way of backdrop, let me, let me just remind you of how God forgives. In Mark chapter 14, there is the account of Peter. Peter says, oh, Lord, I will not deny you. No, 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 not me. Although the rest of these guys, they may turn away from you, but I won't turn. I'll die with you, Jesus not me. Well, you know what happened. He's questioned, aren't you one of them? And he swears that he wasn't. He denies up and down that he even knew Jesus. And, and Jesus and he meet eyes and, and he recognizes that Jesus heard his denial. It's his good friend being arrested and about to be taken on, and put on a cross, a capital crime, And Peter has just completely ditched him, denied him three times. And when he knows that Jesus heard what he said, and he remembers what Jesus had said, three times tonight, you'll deny me. Oh, you will. You can say you won't, but you will. And he did. The Bible says Peter went out and he wept bitterly, but he had done it. And then Jesus is taken, and he's nailed to that cross, and he dies. And so the last interaction that I know of that Peter had with Jesus was not what you would want to remember. A good friend, a close friend, a companion for three years who stuck through and with each other through thick and thin. For three years, they they ate together, they worked together, they walked together, they preached together, they slept, uh, you know, and... he. Here we, we've got now, Peter, the last remembrance that he has of Jesus is, I denied him, and now he's dead, and I have to live with that. Fast forward, Jesus rises from the grave, and he meets his disciples, and through those meetings, we end up in Acts 2. And who is it that is predominantly uh, mentioned? It's Peter taking the lead in that sermon. I know the others spoke, but we have reference to what Peter said on that day. And it's Peter who stood up and represented Jesus and preached the gospel, and 3,000 souls were baptized that day. There's a man who went from being in the depths of depression because of his wronging Jesus. 
And something has happened between then and Acts 2 when now he's standing up for Jesus once again, boldly proclaiming the truth. How did that happen? That's what I want us to look at this morning. How did the forgiveness take place? Because if I can look and see, what did Jesus do to restore Peter? Then maybe I can say, maybe this is what I need to do and the extra effort that I need to take to help restore those who have sinned against me. Do you have anybody that's ever sinned against you? Do you have people in your life that from time to time you have to forgive? This is the way to do it. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 21. And let's look at the evidence of forgiveness that we see from the life of Jesus. And, And the first thing that I would say that Jesus did to show Peter that I forgive you is that he made known a desire for him. He, he wanted Peter to know, I haven't written you off. I still love you. I, I desire you to still be one of my disciples. If you have your place in John 21, I, I want you now to flip to Mark 16. And I want you to see what it says in verse 7 of Mark 16. Jesus has arisen from the dead. The the women had gone to the tomb and they saw the angel. They spoke to the angel. The angel tells them, go back and tell the disciples that Jesus is risen and so forth. But listen to what they said. Verse 7, but go, tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Tell the disciples and Peter. Why not tell the disciples and John, or tell the disciples and Thomas, or tell the disciples and James, go tell the disciples and Peter that I'll meet them in Galilee? Well, because I think that at this point in Peter's life, he probably doesn't feel much like a disciple of Jesus. It wasn't the other guys who said, I don't know him. Oh, yeah, they all fled. No one was loyal to the extent that they were hanging on a cross right next to Jesus. But it was Peter who said, I don't know you. And so I'm sure that when word gets back that Jesus has risen, that Peter probably thinks, well, he doesn't want me around. I mean, the last time I saw him, I I bailed on him at his hour of need and I wasn't there for him when he was about to be crucified. I wouldn't even testify in his behalf. I just, I left. He doesn't mean me. The Lord wanted Peter to know, I mean you. I want my disciples, and Peter, I want you too. You know, maybe that's a good passage to underline. I don't know if you're writing your Bible, but underline that little phrase, and Peter, because Jesus wanted him as well and made it clear that you are included in this number. When someone sins against you, does that person wonder whether you still want them around you anymore? Do they have concern? Do they always feel like they're on the outside? Surely they don't want me to go because, after all, we have history. They wouldn't want me to be around. Oh, I wouldn't be invited to that. I know that, you know, back in the day, this happened, and I'm, I'm sure they would rather me just not be there. Listen, make it easy on those who have sinned against you. And you make sure they know that you desire their well-being. That you're not excluding them anymore. 
that even though they may have done some heinous thing or horrendous thing or hurt you in some way, that you, you're over it. You're past it. You've forgiven. And don't leave them in limbo saying, I wonder if that means, wonder if they would mind if, if someone sins against you, you let that person know you're really past it and that you desire them. And yes, they are included. And yes, they are loved and they're wanted. It's a mistake. It's behind us. Let's move on. That's what Jesus did with Peter. He made sure that Peter understood, I still want you. Here's a second thing that I learned, and let's go back to that passage in John chapter 21. And here's what else Peter did, or Jesus did. He included Peter socially. Look in John chapter 21, the, the disciples are all out and they're fishing, and Jesus was on the, the shore and, and um, he decides to fix a meal for everybody. He's got a campfire going. He's got some fish cooking on it. And, and he calls them to have breakfast with him. And, you know, when Jesus saw them out there, he didn't go, oh, oh, wait, Peter's with them. Let me see. I need to, I need to ask them to come have a meal with me when Peter's not around. Maybe I'll wait till they get to shore and everything, everything gets settled down and everybody kind of goes their own way. And then I can go one by one and say, hey, would you like to have breakfast with me? And, and when Peter gets off, I can ask everybody else and, and we'll have breakfast. And, and he won't. He won't be a part of it. Don't we do that sometimes? There are people that we want to have association with in a social way, and if somebody else is around and we go, oh, man, we, I can't ask them today because so-and-so is by them, and if they hear me ask them, then I'll have to ask them too, and I don't want them around. Jesus included Peter in this activity. It's not preaching. It's not church. It's something outside. It's a social activity. It's a meal. And Jesus included Peter in the meal. When someone sins against you, you want them to know that you really forgive them? Well, you make it clear to them that you want them. Don't leave them hanging. Don't leave them wondering. And secondly, include them socially. Make sure, you know, that would help. If, if I sin against you and you said, I forgive you, and then you invited me to participate in something with you outside of church, I'd begin to get the idea that you really did forgive me. That's what Jesus did. He included him in this meal that he was preparing for others. Here's a third thing that I see that Jesus did with reference to Peter and forgiveness, and it is that he discussed the difficult issues with, Jesus, or with Peter privately. He didn't say, let's call the multitudes together, Peter, because after all, you did sin against me in a public way, and I want to broadcast to everybody just what you did to me. And and he didn't rake him over the coals in front of hundreds of people, in front of the multitudes. They're sitting there having a nice, quiet breakfast. And it's then that Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? You know, there's, there's some discussion, debate, commentators and so forth trying to figure out what, just what it is that Jesus had in mind. Do you love me more than these is the statement that Jesus made. And, 
And that could have reference to the catch of fish that they had just pulled to shore when Jesus told them to cast their nets and they caught this huge catch of fish. And Jesus could be saying, Peter, do you love me more than these fish? Are you willing to leave this and follow me and do whatever I ask you to do, become a fisher of man, men rather than of fishing here in the sea? That, that could be, or it could be this. Jesus could be saying, Peter, do you love me more than these other guys sitting here? You know, because the last time they had had this conversation, Peter kind of ragged on them and said, listen, I will not forsake you. These guys might, but not me. He threw off on them. And so I wonder if after everything has come down and after Peter has denied Jesus, did what the other guys didn't do, if Jesus is now calling saying, hey, now, Peter, let's, let's revisit this. Do you love me more than these, these other men that, that you threw off just a few days ago? You threw off on them. I tend to believe it's the latter, but it could be the former. You, you do your own Bible study and thinking in the context of what Jesus has in mind here. But the point is, Jesus confronts Peter in a very private setting. And, and I think there's a greater chance of reconciliation when we deal with people face to face one-on-one than when we deal with people in a, in a mob, in a crowd. I love social media, but you know, one of the things I dis, just despise about social media is people will get on Facebook and they will air their issues with their brethren. They'll fight back and forth with the brethren. They'll call each other out on Facebook and other forms of social media and, and just... Re- And, you know, you don't make progress when you humiliate people. They tend to to get defensive. They tend to build walls and try to justify themselves. And if, on the other hand, if you'd go to them and say, you know what, you said this the other day, and I've been thinking about that, and here's, here's, here's my take on that they might be more than likely say, well, I'm sorry. I, I didn't even think of that perspective. I, I, I'm sorry about that. You see, that works a whole lot better than if I see something and I say, ooh, I'm going to tell the whole world so-and-so said. You see, one way has in mind reconciliation. The other way just allows me to spout off and expose somebody else. I'm not saying there's never a time where people need to be exposed in a public way, but I do think this, it's far more seldom than we might think. We take things publicly far too often, far too frequently than we really have to. Somebody hurts my feelings, I get on my telephone and I call somebody and say, you know what so-and-so said to me today? Can you believe that? The nerve. And we'll, we'll have our conversations when if we would have just gone to that person and dealt with them directly, no one else would have ever had to known. No one else would have known of another person's weakness and the things that they said. Jesus really did know what he was doing. When he said in Matthew chapter 15, uh, or chapter 18, if your brother sins against you, go to them. 
And if that doesn't work, then take two or three witnesses and then see if that'll work. And then if that doesn't work, take it to the church. And we oftentimes do it exactly opposite. We tell and broadcast to as many people, if you have an issue, don't let anybody else know about it. If someone has wronged you, don't share it. Keep it quiet and work that through alone. And I'm pretty sure that if you're dealing with brethren, that that issue will get resolved and no one will be the wiser. Do it the way Jesus did. So Jesus makes known to Peter, I still want you. And, and then he, he includes him socially. You're not excluded. I, I want you to know. I'm, I'm going to prove to you by my actions that I really do want you. And, and then he discusses those difficult issues, the transgression. He discusses that privately, not in front of everybody where Peter is humiliated. And then look at what else he does. He demonstrates his trust in him by conferring responsibility on him once again. I, I want you to be a fisher of men, Peter. And, and I trust you. And three times, and it's probably of no coincidence that that's how many times that Peter denied Jesus, but three times Jesus reminds him and asks him, do, do you love me? Maybe the three times is to give him a chance to counter the three denials that he had made previously. Oh, I don't know the man. And so three times he said that, and now Jesus three times says, Peter, do you love me? He said yes, and listen to what Jesus says. Okay, well, feed my sheep. We're past this. You know, I, I, I want confirmation. Do you love me? Yes. Well, I still have use for you. I still want you. I still need you. Feed my sheep. Give him responsibility. Have you ever known somebody to forgive somebody and say, well, I forgive you, but just stay out of my way. Just, just uh, you know, if you see me coming, uh, you, you go the other direction. I once had a guy tell me that, a Christian, tell me. He said, here's the way it's going to work between you and me. If you're standing at that door, I don't want you to shake my hand. Don't you reach your hand out. I won't shake it. And if I get sick and go to the hospital, you do not come to the hospital and see me or my wife or my children. You see, we're through. He said, you're dead to me. And, and if you see me and have the chance to turn around and go the other way, I want you to do it. That's the way a Christian thought we could treat each other and still go to heaven. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus didn't leave Peter wondering. He demonstrated, he conferred trust on him. He said, I'm past it. Now, let's get back to business. Feed my sheep. When a person makes a mistake with reference to you, are they dead to you? Can you ever bring them back in your circle? Can you ever confer responsibility upon them again? Or, you know, are you done? I had somebody tell me one time concerning a family member in their family, and not only did this person say it, but another person in that family said it, and they said, if you ever cross so-and-so, I'm telling you, you, she'll be done with you for the rest of your life. Two different people said that of this person, that they, she just she writes you off. 
That's not the way Christians behave. Jesus brought Peter back from the depths of bitterness to where he boldly is standing on the day of Pentecost proclaiming a risen Savior and eventually dying for the cause of Christ. What did he do to bring about such change? How did Peter not get destroyed somewhere in the process? I think it has everything to do with the way Jesus treated him, the one he sinned against. And how do we... Let me ask you this. Do you suppose that there's anyone missing here this morning that used to be here, but they made mistakes, and the reason they're not back is because they're not really sure that they are welcome, that they're forgiven. Oh, I'm not saying you won't forgive them. I'm just asking the question, might they think they're not in good standing because of after what they've done? You see, have we taken the time and have we done the work that Jesus did with Peter? Have we done that with those who have sinned against us? Have we said, well, I forgive you, and then we just kind of go on our way? I don't know if that's enough. It's not what Jesus did. What Jesus did is he, he took that, he went that extra mile, he reached out, he included them, he recommissioned them, and uh, expressed openly and through words and through actions that I still want you as a part of my life, maybe that's what we need to do. Follow his example and be more mindful of that. Next time someone sins against you and you're in a position where you need to forgive, don't just say the words. Show them, include them, and confer what you can in terms of responsibility, include them in your life again. That will convince them that, hey, I I really am forgiven. I think it'll make uh, tremendous strides in our interpersonal relationship. And uh, again, after all, aren't we trying to be godlike? Godliness, Christ likeness, to be conformed into the image of Jesus, the Son of God. Those are the things he did. And so let's keep those things in mind. And maybe this week, as we deal with people in the workplace or deal with our sons, daughters, mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, we might remember how Peter was blessed by the forgiveness of Jesus and just what it is that Jesus did to bring about such a radical change in Peter's life. Let's try the same things and see how it won't bless and see if it will bless those who have sinned against us. Forgiveness it's not a peripheral, uh, peripheral uh, issue in the church, in Christianity. Heaven and hell hang in the balance. God said in Matthew chapter, or Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, that the Heavenly Father will forgive us, forgive us as we forgive others. And so we must from the heart forgive each other. If I want and need the forgiveness of God, which I do on both cases, then I need to learn to get good at forgiveness. 
Is there anyone here this morning who needs the forgiveness of God? If so, humble yourself and meet his terms of pardon. If you haven't yet been baptized into Christ, he said if you'll do that, you'll receive the remission of sins. I want you to make that decision. Step out in the aisle and walk forward, and we'll baptize you into Christ today, and God will keep his promise. He'll forgive you. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, maybe there are people that you've been, I don't know, keeping at arm's distance, and you've been justifying it by, well, you know what they did to me? Have they asked you to forgive you? Let's forgive. Maybe we need help. Maybe we need encouragement and prayers for strength to do and to be like Jesus. Well, if that's the case, we'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.